Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to True Crime on Easy Street, the Father's Day edition. Oh, yeah, it's June the 18th, Father's Day. Yep, that's when we're recording. Yeah, today is. Yeah. But you won't hear this until the 21st. Yeah, but if you're a father out there, I hope you had a fantastic Father's Day. Yeah, we should have done that last week. Yeah, we salute you, fathers. We love you. My name is Kelly Turner, and I am not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Givens, I'm not a lawyer. I recently pulled Katie into the pickleball realm. Scott. Oh, yeah. We were talking about pickleball before we uh, uh, hit the big green button this morning. Yes. And I feel like I know all about it now. Maybe yes. too much yeah. about pickleball. I've more, heard than about you, more than you wanted Multiple to butt injuries, uh, scoring, uh, strategy techniques. Yeah. I've learned some of the lingo of the game. Yeah. If you don't know this out there in true crime land, pickleball is a big deal here in Cherokee County. And it I guess elsewhere. Deal. It's a big deal. And a shout out to Casey West for showing us how to play. Yes. Keep score. Oh, I'll bet she showed you guys how to play. Yeah, Is she as good at that as she is at everything else? She is. She is. And I I was just telling Katie before we started recording, I don't truly believe that we've unlocked all of the levels that Casey has in the game of pickleball. She's taking it easy on you guys? (laughs) Yes, definitely. And sometimes she takes it even easier. I can... I noticed that from the one time playing, I'd watch and I'd be like, okay. And then she'd be like, all right, no, I'm done. And like, yeah. then she'll t- turn it on. Behind her back, between her legs, whatever <laughs> it takes to make the point. She's everywhere. We have a great time. Katie uh, was telling us, do you have an injury from well, I just, I woke up sore. Like, well, my, get you. my butt's sore. My yeah. shins are sore. It's, it's, it's rough on your butt. You guys are not reason. talking yeah. me into this. Well, I do. I do <laughs> not a lot with of, this attitude. I do a lot of Pilates and I thought I'd be all right with yeah. it. Nope. Nope. Different muscles. Totally different, yeah. All right. Yeah, you talked me out of that. It's fun stuff. We're going to get Scott out there one day, and we're going to video Uh it, and we'll put that that. on our social media Mm. for you guys. It'll be fantastic. I'm not as athletic as I used to be, and I wasn't very athletic then. But you were. Tell us about, just briefly. Yeah. What did you play in high school, and what were the positions? I played football and baseball. Okay, what did you play in football? Quarterback. Okay, and baseball. First base and pitcher. Okay, now, typically. Right. You got it. Those spots Mm -hmm. are for pretty good athletes. Well, not necessarily. And I am the exception that proves the rule. Really? Someone out there who's listening played sports with Scott in high school. I doubt it. Yeah, we want to know about about it. Pretty bad. Did you guys win any championships? No, but we won a couple of games. Not that I had anything to do with that, but yeah, we won a few, but no, not, uh, no. Okay. Nothing, nothing that's like, uh, still hanging on the wall. Regionals, sectionals, nope. county. We made the playoffs once. Yay! <laughs> oh, man. That's something. I love we that. We didn't get very far. Uh, well, you know. But it was fun. We got to travel on the bus. They rented the bus for us, and we got to take a road trip and stop somewhere to eat on the way home. And you felt very special. Yeah. yeah you should. That's it was, awesome. It was kind of neat. That's okay. my only story, though. Did you have a nickname? When you played sports? No, but most of the guys did, but I didn't. You did not? They just no. called you Scott. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had to come back home in my 30s to ever get a nickname. When I was in college, everybody just called me Scott. Everybody else in the group had a nickname, but I was Scott. Wow. But How about that? I got back home, and then, thank God, Katie is married to Shane Gibbons. <laughs> Who gives and, everybody and have, a nickname. And, and now I have a nickname, so... <laughs> He does. He gives everyone a nickname. We should have some sort of contest where you can sign up and we'll let Shane give you a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. If you lose the contest. No, if you lose the contest, that's your reward <laughs> or your punishment. 
<laughs> We're just volunteering Shane for yeah. all kind of stuff. All right. So this week mm-hmm. we have something that uh, we're going to talk about. That I had to talk you guys into. You did. And I'm still reluctant. Are you? I'm still... All right. Well, let me see if I can sell you on yeah, it. Yeah. Hopefully you will today. Right. But Scott, what are you talking about today? We're going to talk about Alcatraz. Okay. Um, before we do that, though, I have one shout out. Angela Clark is a listener of the show. I saw her yesterday and she said, what do I have to do to get a shout out? And I said, you just got one. Well, <laughs> hey, Angela, thank you for being a listener. And she wants a t-shirt. I told her that she would have to get in touch with Katie about the t-shirts. I don't know a damn thing about the t-shirts. We have t-shirts. Yes, we do have <clears> a, so, a few t-shirts left. Yeah, we do. You're yeah. looking over in the corner. I assume that's where they're located. They're in that box right there. Gotcha. Yep. And they're going like hotcakes. So <laughs> one at a time. Jump on that really quick. Does hotcakes go one at a time once a month? I don't know. Because that's how that. our t-shirts are going. <laughs> I usually like hotcakes Three at a time. Yeah, three at a time and, <laughs> and regularly. Uh-huh. Not so much with the t-shirt. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> uh, are you guys ready? I think as so. As ready as you're going to be yes, reluctant Ruth over yes, there. Yes, I am. Very much so. Okay, guys. So we've been on the West Coast before on this podcast. We have been in California before. Hell, we've even been in San Francisco before on this podcast. You guys remember when we did uh, the Zodiac. That was season two, episodes 10 and 12, right? 10, 11, and 12. That was okay. a three-parter. I was about to say, did we skip one? With yeah, you? 10 through 12. So we've been in San Francisco before, but we've never been one mile off the shoreline in San Francisco Bay on the island of Alcatraz. We're going to tell you a story that took place in the summer of 1962, and we just missed the 61st anniversary of the escape from Alcatraz by a couple of days. That happened on June the 12th, 1962. So just by a few days, we missed that. By a week. And you, you have, you've put a magazine here. I brought that for you guys to look at if you want to, if you've never been inside Alcatraz, uh, that's got some really good shots of. Is this from the, the History inside. Channel? It is. is that what this? Alcatraz, uh-huh. the notorious prison. Yep. A daring jailbreak. And these are the guys who escaped. Those right? are the three guys. We're going to talk about those guys. I sort of feel sorry for the guy on the left here because he's got his eyes closed. Yeah. His notorious. Well, it, it's just a mugshot. He mug wasn't shot. proud of it anyway. And his mother certainly wasn't. Yeah. But is this after he was caught? That's their, that's their, no, that's their, uh, photos that were taken when they were, when they came into Alcatraz, Alcatraz, right? It's not very flattering for him. And now you've been to Alcatraz. I have. I've been to San Francisco, but we failed to make it to Alcatraz. Yeah. I'm going to talk about my escapades on Alcatraz Mm. next week in part two. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a part. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I've got a couple of those today. All right. Anyway. So Alcatraz, of course, has to be one of the most famous, infamous islands in the entire world, right? I'd say at least it's in the top six as far as the genre of true crime is concerned. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the other famous prison islands. Let's do. So in 95 AD on the island of Patmos, Greece, St. John the Apostle yes. was sent there by the, uh, by the Romans. That's where he wrote the book of Revelations. Oh, wow. Patmos, Greece. Uh, the island of St. Marguerite, Possibly I pronounced that right, but maybe not. Sounds right. Somebody phone us in. Uh, That's located off the coast of France. That was the site where a prisoner was kept in the late 1600s in what was probably actually a black velvet mask. Regardless, one popular tale that the prisoner was the brother of Louis XIV gave Alexander Dumas the inspiration to write The Man in the Iron Mask. I was about to say, this sounds like a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Okay. Uh, British writer Daniel Defoe heard the story of an English privateer who was marooned for four years on a small island 
off the coast of Southern South America. And that's where he got his inspiration to write his most famous novel, uh, novel Robinson Crusoe. Okay. Uh, Devil's Island in French Guyana off the northeastern coast of South America gave us the true story that inspired the 1973, uh, 1973 film Papillon starring Steve McQueen. That film was remade in 2017 starring Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yes. I know who that yeah, is. Yeah, stick to the original. Watch the oh, 73 version no. with McQueen. I it's love- Steve McQueen, first of all. I know. One of his I last films you before know he died. Charlie Hunnam? Have you seen Sons of Anarchy? I've seen him. All right, let's move along. <laughs> and of course, one of the most famous prison islands of all time, St. Helena, which is located in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, one of the most remote places on earth. And that's why the British sent Napoleon Bonaparte there after his defeat at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. He died on that island seven years later at the age of 51. So all of these islands, they sound like nice places to go. You Unless know, Al- you're a prisoner. Alcatraz, that's, it sounds like a harsh word. Yeah, it is. But a, you know, yeah. some of these other things that you're saying, it almost sounds like a vacation, I guess, until you get there. Well, yeah, you go visit and no, I don't report back. I'm good. Yeah. What about the island of Azkaban? Azkaban. Wait, is that from uh, Harry Potter? Uh, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, the Prisoner of Azkaban. I forgot that was an island. Yeah, it, it, right. that sounds creepy too. That yeah, sounds like a sure creepy. That came from Alcatraz. Uh, they, I think they ripped island. off Alcatraz with that one. Yeah, Alcatraz way to go, Joe is a perfect name for an island that contains a prison. That's true. Yeah, I think anyone who knows even a little bit about Alcatraz will agree that it too belongs on this list of the most famous island prisons. And if you don't agree with that yet. Kelly Turner, I'm talking to you. Yes. Stick around. We're going to try to convince you in the next few minutes. Okay. So first, a little bit of the history of Alcatraz. It's called that today because in 1775, just about the time the American Revolution was getting underway on what would eventually become the east coast of the United States, a Spanish explorer named Juan Manuel de Ayala sailed into San Francisco Bay and named Alcatraz after the squadron of waterfowl that were the sole inhabitants of the island at the time. I've scattered a few trivia questions throughout the episode today for you guys. Okay. We're going to have a winner when this is over, and there's the prize. It is a surprise. <gasps> oh, my gosh. There's literally a bag on it's the a, desk. It's a white paper bag. That is a white paper bag that, uh, listen, here's what's so strange. Uh-huh. It's how many feet from me? Five. Until you pointed to it, mm-hmm. I didn't see it. I didn't notice it. Me either. It's behind my computer screen, but I still. It's a at, white paper bag. You at least have something blocking it. Yeah. I have nothing blocking it. <laughs> that at I one time had to go food in it, but I kept the paper bag. <laughs> and when I thought of the prize, <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified. In case you were curious. <laughs> well, I'll tell the story of the prize when it is awarded okay, at the perfect. end of this episode. All right. But their first trivia question for you guys, Kelly, you go first. Oh. Anybody want to take a guess what kind of bird it was? that Diayela saw living on Alcatraz. Take a guess. Albatross. All right. Katie? Oh, I don't know. I don't do birds. I don't really know my birds. Osprey. Okay. That's not a bad guess. No, you're both wrong. Oh. It was pelicans. Ah, oh, that was going to be The my Spanish favorite. word Darn for it. pelican is some sort of anglicized version of what we pronounce as Alcatraz. Oh, okay. All right. So, And according to Google, a group of pelicans can either be a pod, a scoop, or a squadron. And Ooh, I, thought, I like squadron. I, I picked squadron too. So it was yeah, a squadron like of brown pelicans that inspired Diayela to name that island Alcatraz. There was bird crap everywhere. 
Oh, yeah. Big time. Everywhere. Everywhere. More trivia to come, but okay. right now back All to right. the story. Okay. So Alcatraz is 12 acres. It is nothing but a huge chunk of sandstone sticking up out of San Francisco Bay. It is three miles from the Golden Gate, which is the narrow opening on the ocean where the Pacific Ocean comes into San Francisco Bay. And it is just a little bit over one mile from the, from the mainland of San Francisco. It's 500 feet wide, 1,700 feet long. Now you're on Alcatraz. Okay. Uh, after the United States wrested control of California from the Republic of Mexico in the 1840s, the U.S. military started to look at Alcatraz as an impregnable stronghold that would be used to guard the entrance to the Golden Gate in case ships from another Navy tried mm-hmm. to invade. The California gold rush was underway in the late 1840s, and the coming Civil War was pretty much a foregone conclusion by the mid-1850s, and that's when the U.S. military built a, uh, built a fortress. That was in 1853. The next year, the Army added a lighthouse which was the first lighthouse in North America on the Pacific coast. Now, so they're doing all this on the Pacific coast when the civil war is looming, but mm-hmm. like the civil war, did, it's, it's not being fought. No, the right. civil war starts in 1861, ends in 1865. But it doesn't make its way to California. It does not, okay. but they didn't know that at the time. Okay, okay. They're just, you know, they're planning for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, five years later in 1859, the first U S army troops arrived on Alcatraz and army engineers built a wall around the island in the places where the natural rocky cliffs didn't uh, keep people away, mm-hmm. naturally. Uh, at one time, there were over 100 large cannons surrounding the perimeter of the island, all pointed towards the Golden Gate, just in case some foreign navy thought about invading California, which at that time, as of 1850, was the 31st state of the Union. I didn't okay. know that. I didn't know when it was. I'm learning all kinds of things here. And you know, I wanted to say those army engineers, Mm -hmm. they are very impressive. Yeah. The Corps of Engineers knows what it's doing, except when they try to keep it from flooding in New Orleans. Oh yeah. That was dropped the ball on that a little bit. I guess you can't do the impossible. Yeah, exactly. You can't do the impossible. I mean, how far below sea level is New Orleans? Enough. Should we build below sea levels like that's that's probably where we're Seems like a bad idea, right? Yeah. Ugh. So, but over time, the threat of invasion uh, off the coast of California through the Golden Gate did not materialize, as Katie pointed out. So the U.S. military turned the island into a disciplinary barracks. The thought process was that the isolation of Alcatraz would allow the army to conceal deserters, escapees, thieves, and drunkards that had made their way into the ranks of the military. Man, disciplinary barracks? Yeah. Sounds worse than prison. Well, the idea is to rehabilitate the unruly's and then send them back to their units. It sounds like you're trying to sugarcoat something really bad when you say that. Yeah, disciplinary it does, it? barracks. Yeah. Nothing to see here. It was it was pretty bad back then. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it turned out though before long that the army had more derelicts than they had anticipated. So they had to keep building more and more barracks on Alcatraz Island to hold them all. By 1907 Alcatraz had become a full-time US military prison facility. And for the next quarter century not much changed. On Alcatraz, and then two things happened really fast in the uh, in the late by the late 1920s, it had become really expensive for the military to maintain the facilities at Alcatraz. It cost more to do anything there because of the obvious logistical problems. I mean, they even had to to, to float in water. There was no way to drill down and get water, so the water had to be transported in. Uh, and because the salty ocean air caused iron bars to rust and concrete to crumble at an alarming rate. Okay. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Secondly, prohibition had gone into effect in 1920, 
And by the end of that decade, the United States was experiencing a crime wave of monumental proportions. Murder, bank robbery, drugs, kidnappings. The number of these types of crimes, which were sophisticated and organized, had skyrocketed. Think Machine Gun Kelly, Al Capone, Bonnie and Clyde. Prohibition pissed a lot of people off. Big time. The second worst mistake in the history of this country after Vietnam. Ooh. I think. I mean, you got a good point there. So another thing, cars. The advent of the automobile had given criminals legs. Radio and phone technology were primitive at the time. So it was really hard for criminals, for for cops to to find criminals. Uh, You guys know John Mulaney, one of my favorite comedians. He does this bit about uh, the gangster era back in the 30s. And he says, basically, the only thing you had to do to escape a crime in the 30s was not still be there when the cops arrived. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, he, he is funny. Tell him it was Golden Joe and the Suggins gang. You know, that kind of thing. And just be gone. And you got away with it. Yes. So the transition from Alcatraz, of Alcatraz from a military prison to a federal prison uh, started to take place in the 30s. J. Edgar Hoover wanted a maximum security facility to hold as punishment over these organized gangs. If we catch you, we're going to send you to Alcatraz. Mm. They wanted to go McGruff on these gangsters. They wanted to take a bite out of crime and spit them out at Alcatraz and leave them there mm-hmm. for enough time that they wouldn't ever want to go back. So it was designed, if you are a very, very bad criminal, mm-hmm. that's where you go. It's yeah. designed for the worst of the worst. Correct. Okay. Yeah. If you break the rules, you go to prison. If you break the prison rules, you go to Alcatraz. Yikes. Nobody went directly to Alcatraz. You got sent to Alcatraz after you were already in prison. Okay, okay. If you, don't, if you guys don't straighten you. up, you're going to Alcatraz. And then they, when they got sick of you, they're like, you're out of here. Exactly. Okay. By January of 1934, Alcatraz had been transformed into that maximum security, minimum privilege prison that would be used to separate from the rest of society the most dangerous criminals in the country and discourage the types of criminal organizations that were running wild in the country. Now, did it have all like the proper infrastructure? Like, I mean, I'm sure that was like really expensive to get out there. It some of it was already there. Some of it had to be built when the Federal Bureau of Prisons took mm-hmm. it over in '33. It took them a year to, to get, get it, it like, the way they wanted it. So the Justice Department had tinkered with the idea of building this maximum security style facility somewhere else, but there was enough infrastructure at Alcatraz that in a year they were able to to put it together. Uh, which brings us to trivia question number two. Mm. Katie, you go first this time. How many years was Alcatraz a federal prison before it was closed? Twelve. Kelly? Either say Five. 13 or 11 because it's a Price is Right situation. Five. No. Katie's closer. Oh. 29 years. Oh. So Katie has one assume- point. You still have zero points. Yeah. I assumed it would be. So, okay. Nobody knew Pelican. I don't understand your, uh, your point system, but whatever. Zero means you didn't get it right. Yeah, I know. One means she did. She did not get it right. She got closer than you. So this was a process right game. And I'm making up the rules. Yeah, definitely (laughs) you are. (laughs) All right, so it's 29 years. Alcatraz opened on January the 2nd, 1934, and it officially closed on March the 21st, 1963. And just so you know, the average inmate population over those 30 years was 260. There were 336 cells, but it was never full. It never had to be. There were never enough derelicts that they had to send who had been bad boys in prison and other places. So 260 was the average. 
so for nearly three decades, like I said, Alcatraz certainly was no club med, but the first warden of the prison, his name was James Johnston. It doesn't matter. He had decades of experience in the correctional system, and he believed in a humanistic approach to uh, inmate reform. So a lot of the tough-as-nails reputation that you've seen about Alcatraz through the years, that's, uh, that's a Hollywood creation. But we'll talk more about that later. The one-man-per-cell policy, one-man-per-cell at Alcatraz, actually appealed to some inmates. Some inmates requested to be sent there. Oh, dang. Not knowing what they were asking for. Uh, one of the reasons being that individuals were less vulnerable to attack from other jailbirds or sexual assault if yeah, you were in your right. own cell by yourself most right. of the time. And Warden Johnston knew from his years in the California prison system that a lot of jailhouse riots were the product of lousy food in the prison cafeteria. So the food at Alcatraz was terrific by comparison. What? Here's a menu that I found from uh, the 1940s. Okay. Uh, meatloaf with ketchup. Rice and tomato soup, soft boiled eggs, pickled cucumbers and onions, baked rolls, spiced pound cake, coffee. Well, that, yeah, okay. The warden ate there every day. The guards ate the same food. So the food was good. Okay. So they, they all ate this. Okay. Yeah. But now other than the ketchup, there was nothing fancy about life on Alcatraz. Well, and it's, but that's not a lot of people to cook for relatively speaking. No. So you wouldn't have this major food budget really well it's four it's 350 people three meals a day but if you right, think like, about you know, a big prison relation yeah. to another yeah prison, yeah if it's yeah. a prison with five thousand people in it yeah because yeah. i right. finally watched shawshank since y'all yay look at there didn't you love it yeah it was good but then i remember the food scene like you know pulling maggots out of the or that yeah. rug out that the, they fed the bird yeah that, yeah brooks got the bird for his or the yeah. the maggot for his bird that um that's the bird's name is, max uh no um Oh, it was a, like a regular, it was a person's name. Oh, well, sorry. Luke? Like, oh, something that. like that. I watched it again, too, this week. That menu sounds a lot better than uh, Calhoun County Jail. Uh, I yeah. uh, we did some work from my other job there. Yeah, a hot and dog and a slice of white bread? It was literally two hot dog weenies. Yeah. And yeah, and then like the sliced bread and yeah. then like some uh, sort that of strange- That would have been fine with me. Some sort of strange something in the smallest oh, part of the might tray have been, container. Might have been apple. I think it was supposed to be some sort of dessert. Yeah. For but these were, you know, for grown men. Apple sauce, it was maybe. really bad, but yeah. you know, it's I kept reminding them, it's jail, guys. It's not <laughs> supposed to be good. But the way you describe those hot dogs, mom never bought hamburger or hot dog buns when we were kids. She'd buy the hot dogs, but we had to eat on loaf bread? On yeah, white, I did On white same. bread. Oh, yeah. yeah, same. That was a little too fancy for Vicky Wright. She was not buying, she was not going to splurge on the hot dog buns. <laughs> not happening. Not no, in my house. Yeah, and I'm sure, the, were the hot dogs boiled? Oh, of boiled. course. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Of course they were. Mm-hmm. Is there another way to cook a hot dog? <laughs> 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 so for the first three months, when you find yourself on Alcatraz, you don't get any visitors. Zero. And then after the three months is up, you get one visitor per month and it's got to be approved by the warden. That's a haul to get someone out there though. And, and that's one of the reasons. I'm sure you didn't get many visitors anyway because these people are from all over the country. Yeah, right? and you got to go all the way to the West Coast. Yeah. So I, not a lot I, of know, visitors. I've been on board with the warden so far, but this, I would, I think I would have had to cut that out. Budget, budget issues. Maybe. No Mail was restricted to a very short list of family members that first had to be approved by the FBI. 
They had to investigate okay. anybody that you put on a list that you wanted to receive letters from. I like from. it. Yeah. Um, and that took a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So for the first couple of months that you were a new prisoner on the rock, you didn't have anything to do except drag through this dreary, mundane, day-to-day existence. And that's the way that, that they wanted it. You were being punished. We'll tell you more about that as we go along. For now, just know this. Privileges were very limited at Alcatraz. Famously, there were only four rights that prisoners were entitled to, food, clothing, shelter, medical care. Everything else was a right or a privilege that you had to earn, that the prisoners had to earn. Mm -hmm. For example, prisoners had to earn by good behavior for a specified period of time, a month or two months, whatever. Uh, That's how you got access to the prison library, which at one time had 15,000 books and subscriptions to over 70 magazines, including, spoiler alert, Popular Mechanics. You can get a magazine on Alcatraz. Store that in a safe, dry place. Popular Mechanics. Mm-hmm. Ah, the, the beginning of the end for them. Yep. Uh, prisoners were not actually allowed to go to the prison library. You couldn't go in there. You, oh. you wrote down your request for something oh, that you wanted to read, and they you. brought it to you. Okay, I like that. Yeah. That's good. And other privileges, uh, privileges were writing paper, tobacco, and visitors, but you had to earn these things. Yeah, you okay. didn't just get it. So for that first decade or so that Alcatraz was a federal prison, inmates were strongly even encouraged uh, or discouraged from speaking. You weren't supposed to talk at all unless it was, please pass the salt in the cafeteria or to a guard, I'm sick, I need to go to the infirmary. You weren't supposed to say anything. So it was very quiet mm-hmm. for most of the time. And that they ended that total silence thing in 1940. So after six years, you could, you could speak. Mm-hmm. But still, that they didn't, is that is maddening. Yes, like you that's talking. what I was about to say. Yeah, Ooh. very. You ever go so long without speaking? Not like on purpose, but like you're just kind of by yourself or something. And then when you go to talk, it's like every Sunday like when I leave here, it's like I leave here. Work. Yeah, I leave here and I go home. It's just me and the dogs. Now I do scream at the dogs some, mm-hmm. but yeah, sometimes I'll go for hours without talking. And no, that, that like never somebody else in the room. Not at your house? Are you kidding? When I, even when I'm by myself. I, I am talking to the cat or I'm, yeah. you know, talking to myself. I don't answer myself. I just, you know. So. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now, there were paying jobs on the island that prisoners could get. For example, where prisoners, uh, they worked in a mat shop and they made floor mats there for the U.S. Navy out of old car tires. Oh, okay. And there was a brush shop where they made push brooms. The inmates made these push brooms, and then they were shipped off the island to be sold at a profit for the prison. What? So it was a money, ma- it was a profit deal. This Alcatraz thing, mm-hmm. <clears throat> at least to some extent. And workers could add, uh, they could earn up to about fifty bucks a month. That's that's uh, a- probably a lot of money, depending that's on where they were assigned yeah. to work. Yeah, sure. Um, now, other prisoners worked as cooks, food prep in the mess hall, janitors the library messenger that brought the books that you requested. And some of them worked in the tailor shop where they mended the uniforms for both the prisoners and the guards. And here's another little nugget for later. They also made rubber raincoats. Inmates could use their wages to order these items, uh, to order items from a prison supplied catalog that the warden had approved. So hacksaw blades, blow torches, not in this catalog. I was going to say, wait a minute, what? Could not get those things. Uh, but as long as they'd earned enough money, Alcatraz prisoners could subscribe to magazines. They could order books. They could purchase painting supplies and musical instruments from shops located in the city and have them have it transported over. Okay. But again, like I said, prisoners had to earn those privileges. And For I'm example, sure it was looked at 
from all sides when it was shipped into oh, yeah. the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you there's, order a guitar, yeah, there's not a hacksaw blade at, in the back of it. They're right. checking yeah. everything. <laughs> um, so to earn those things, you had to you you didn't fight in the prison yard or anywhere. Uh, you weren't difficult with the guards. You didn't throw food at lunchtime, and you did not try stealing a spoon after finishing your rice and tomato soup. Frank Lee Morris, I'm talking to you. Okay. Nope. But we do not meet prisoner <laughs> one four four one for a few more minutes. Okay. Oh, and perhaps at the very top of the do not do list, do not attempt to escape. No, I, I would say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, the prison's modest behavior reinforcement techniques were not always enough to overcome the sense of dreariness that overwhelmed many of the men who served, t- uh, served time at the Rock. And no, there were never any female prisoners on the Rock. But speaking of all of those male prisoners, it is time for trivia question number three. Okay. Kelly, you go first this time. The score is Kelly zero. Yep. Katie, one. How many total prisoners, another Price is Right situation here, how many total prisoners served time on Alcatraz during the 29 years that it was open? Closest answer wins. Total. 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 During the 20 years that it was open. 29 years. 29 years it was open. Mm -hmm. 800. All right. Katie? Uh, 5,000. Why didn't you say 801? <laughs> I was trying to do some math. I'm okay, well, now the score is tied at one apiece because the actual number was 1,545. Oh, okay. And your terrible guess was closer than her oh. ridiculously terrible <laughs> guess. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Tied at one. Oh, good, because there's one more trivia question, Yay. and that will determine who our winner is for this breaker. fabulous prize that I have in this wadded up white paper sack. Yeah. I, was, it, I looked for a Christmas bow, but I couldn't find one in my house. wadded up, yeah. All right. Uh, now, back to the story. Recall that I mentioned that attempting to escape was uniformly considered a ginormous no-no at Alcatraz. Oh, yeah. But it still happened on occasion. Actually, uh, in all, there were 36 prisoners involved in 14 total escape attempts in those 29 years. How many of those people drowned? I'll tell you later. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm getting That's it. all right. So, let's briefly look at a few of those escapes uh, that occurred through the years. And after we do that, we're going to take a break, and then we will. Begin setting up for next week's. We're going to cliffhang you at the end of today's episode. We're going to set you up for the escape from Alcatraz today, and then we'll tell you that story next week. But first, let's look at some of the famous escape attempts through the years. All right. So, like I said, 36 prisoners, 14 total escapes. But as always, we are an entry level true crime podcast here at Easy Street. So, we will just hit the highlights. If somebody else wants to do some homework and dig up some more of that, You're welcome to. We'll get you pointed in the right direction. Oh, and by the way, something we always try to accomplish here on this podcast, if we can, we have an Alabama connection. Ooh. I I hinted that to you guys uh, via text message a couple of days ago, and I'm not lying about that. So here we go, the escape attempts. Here's the first one. Two years after it opened, in April of 1936, a prisoner was shot and killed by the tower guards while he tried to climb over a chain link fence. He just couldn't take it anymore. He's running for the fence. Bang. That was the first one. In December of 1937, two men sawed through prison bars and dove into San Francisco Bay. They are still missing. At least two drowned. Oh, no. In January of 1939, five men, including one member of the infamous Ma Barker gang, made it to shore on the island, uh, off the island. No, I'm sorry. They made it to the shore of Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. And they tried to paddle away, but the water was so cold that all of them surrendered, but not before one of them, the guy who was connected to the Ma Barker gang, he was shot and killed. In July 1945, and here's a clever one, an inmate named John Giles 
dressed in an army uniform that it took him years to accumulate. He worked in the, uh, in the laundry, but it still took him years to get all of the pieces together. It was during World War II, and when uh, soldiers coming back from the Pacific Theater of War, a lot of them came back home through the Golden Gate and into San Francisco, and so their laundry was sent to Alcatraz to be washed. Mm-hmm. So he eventually got a captain's uniform, but the guards figured out that he was gone while the boat was still in the water, and they radioed ahead, and somebody snatched him as soon as he tried to walk off the boat. Uh, in May of 1946, there was a two-day gunfight on the island known as the Battle of Alcatraz, where a, a group of prisoners had tried to escape. At the end of that two-day gunfight, three prisoners and two guards had been killed. In September of 1958, two men made it to the shore and started swimming for San Francisco. One was quickly captured. The other's body washed up two weeks later, so at least three drowned. And so now to June of 1962. This is our story about the big one, the reason we're all here this morning, and we'll tell you all about it right after these words from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services. You know, they're located right here in Cherokee County, and I called Alan myself just a few weeks ago, and he and his crew came out to my house, pressure washed the whole thing. It looks brand new. Well, as brand new as my house can possibly look after 25 years. But all I did was call Alan at 256-706-7964. He and the guys showed up and cleaned up everything. It looked fantastic. The pollen has fallen a little bit since then. So if you haven't done this already, now's the perfect time to call Alan and A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964 and let them do for you what they've already done for me. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Wass Lake, swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club, climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village, hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve, take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park, and much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are. And if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. We're proud to have another show sponsor, Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill. Faraway is a small, family-owned business with small-town values located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. But they can do big things for you. Call Faraway for anything you want done to a tree, or a lot of them. You want your trees removed? Call Faraway. You want your trees cut up and milled into lumber or ground into mulch? Call Faraway. Faraway is licensed and insured and can handle any job, big or small, from tree trimming to stump grinding and everything in between. So call Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill today at 256-393-5398. And thank you to all our wonderful sponsors. Okay, Scott, where are we going? All right, so we've told you about Alcatraz, about its discovery, its development, the transformation of it into a maximum security federal prison, and about a few of the previous escape attempts from the rock, as it is known. Now we come to the story about how Alcatraz eventually stopped being a maximum security facility. Basically, this is the escape that got Alcatraz shut down. The year is 1962. Let's set the table. In February of 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. 
In March of 1962, the first Kmart opened in Garden City, Michigan. Katie, we will explain that to you later. Uh, in July, the first Walmart opened in Rogers, Arkansas. Today, there are only 20 Kmarts left in the country, and there are 4,717 Walmarts. Now, I used to love the Kmart. Okay. Me too. And oh, it was. Yeah. I'm so glad you said it that way. It used to be right across the street. It was the Kmart. Yeah. The Kmart. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't Kmart. It wasn't like Walmart. Well, and no. I think I call Walmart the Walmart because oh. I'm like, because Shane always makes fun of, I say a couple of things he doesn't like. I say and it's the, the Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> I say a park. Just a couple of things. And I say the grocery. The yeah, grocery. Yeah, that, you're over two on that. Yeah, he I'm, I'm with Shane. Yeah, he does. <laughs> WTF. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in August of 1962, actress Marilyn Monroe was found dead in her Brentwood home. Oh. Mm-hmm. The Cuban Missile Crisis took place over 13 days in October of 1962, the closest that we know of that the Earth ever came to total nuclear annihilation. And in December of 1962, Da Vinci's famous painting, Mona Lisa, spent several months on tour throughout the United States, but not before it was insured for $100 million. Yeah, I bet. Uh, It was safely returned to Paris. Uh, I saw it hanging on the wall in 1998, so I don't know if it's still there today, but it was in 98. So it made it around the United States. Back to the Louvre in Paris. I think that's where it still is. I think so. Guess it's as good as mine. (laughs) So in the midst of all of these memorable events from 1962, there was a massive headline-grabbing jailbreak from the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary on June the 12th of that year. Actually, it started in the late night hours of June the 11th, but we'll call it June the 12th because that's when they figured it out. But now if we're going to tell you what happened on June the 11th and 12th of 1962, we've got to briefly go back just for a second to the year of 1960 to January and introduce you to prisoner number 1441. His name was Frank Lee Morris. I'm glad I put the top up on my convertible. It's pouring down rain now. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Almost didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Morris was a bank robber. He had been sent to Alcatraz after trying to escape from his previous prison home. And they added four years to his sentence because of that escape attempt. So Morris, when he got to Alcatraz, had 14 years to serve as inmate number 1441. And if you're into numerology, he got there on January the 14th. I'm not into numerology. I don't know what all those 14s mean, but... I, I don't know. Somebody yeah. do the math and let us know next week. Okay. So the opening scene of the film Escape from Alcatraz, which is homework for both of you for next week, starring Clint Eastwood, uh, it does a really good job of showing you what it was like when Morris was taken to mm-hmm. Alcatraz for the first time. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, it is time for trivia question number four. All right, guys, this is for all the marbles and whatever piece of crap is in that white bag. Go ahead, punk. Ask the question. (laughs) Excellent segue, because I want to know what year the Clint Eastwood film Escape from Alcatraz premiered in theaters. God. Katie? 87. Kelly? 73. Look, it's a... It's a, it's a price is right situation. You guys would suck. You guys would still be standing there waiting your turn to, to bid on the next item. She said 87. You should have said either 86 or 88. I stick by what I said. All right, fine. You win. Yay. Because see? it was 1979. Oh, see, I was close. You were sick. You were off by six. She was off by eight. Okay. So, so I win. not that far. It wasn't that close. All right, so you win, mm -hmm. and... Uh Uh-oh, what do I win? There's your prize. I know you guys like coffee. literally says Scott on it. (laughs) I bought that a year ago because I was going to play a prank on Shane in the sound booth, but I thought better of it. Oh, Lord. (laughs) 
So it's a novelty gift. It looks like a spilled cup of coffee if you put it down on a flat surface. It literally does. It yeah. has a spoon. It's a white cup. And what is this? Some sort of acrylic plastic that looks that like looks coffee like has run out. Spilled coffee. <clears throat> there had just been a spill in the sound booth a year ago. And Shane was freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. So I got that. I was going to sneak up into the sound booth and leave it laying right on the electric equipment <laughs> and watch him have a come apart. And then I thought better of it. I thought he might actually physically harm me if I did that. So, Yeah, he's touchy about that sound booth. I know. I, yeah. don't even, I don't get to go up there anymore. I used to hang out up there all the time. Yeah. And now I'm scared of it. No, we're one, gonna, no one goes up there. Yeah. We're going to put this on top of Katie's computer and take a photo and put it on our Instagram. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, congratulations, Yay. Kelly Turner. And that concludes our trivia segment for today. <laughs> All right, back to the story. Oh, one other thing about uh, Escape from Alcatraz, the movie. Uh, if you're listening to this episode on the day that it drops, June the 21st, you're just three days from the 44th anniversary of its premiere in theaters. And that movie was also the first movie to ever be offered as a VHS home rental tape. Wait, what? First the one. First one. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, back to the story. Frank Morris, five foot seven, 150 pounds. He is 35 years old on the day in 1960 when he arrives on Alcatraz Island. He's got shackles around his wrists and his ankles. He has been motored across San Francisco Bay on a ferry manned by prison guards. As he stepped off the ferry into a <clears throat> driving rain and onto the landing at Alcatraz, Morris had a guard holding each arm as he waddled into the back of a small van for the short ride up the steep, narrow roadway from the shoreline to the entrance to the prison on top of the hill. Morris was wearing baggy pants with no belt and slip-on shoes with no heels. The thought process being that it's hard to run if your pants are coming off and your shoes are all over the place. You can't run. It's really hard, yeah. Yeah. And you're bound around your wrists and ankles. Kind of makes it it hard to get away. So already by his wardrobe alone, Morris is being conditioned not to try and escape from the rock. They thought of it. Everything. Not everything. Oh, okay. Once inside Alcatraz, Morris was ordered to undress. He was then searched everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then handed the standard Alcatraz welcome basket. Oh. Two sets of clothing consisting of gray denim trousers and a button-up shirt, a pair of long cotton underwear, five pairs of socks, one handkerchief, a safety razor holder with no blades, a tin cup, a nail clip, a mirror, a hand towel, a toothbrush, a mattress cover, two bed sheets, and a pillowcase. Welcome to Alcatraz. That's more than I thought they would get. Yeah. They got a mirror? A nail clip? Yep. Wow. Uh, hang on to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what? Mm-hmm. We've searched all areas <laughs> of this guy, and then we're going to give him a nail clip? Yeah. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe every other week they they come... You know, they, then they clip their nails and they do inventory. I don't know. Nail clip. I don't know. Uh, after a guard walked Morris to his assigned prison cell, prisoner number 1441 did what every new Alcatraz inmate did. He looked around, soaked it all in, and thought about what he had done to end up in the most secure prison in the country. Mm-hmm. Poor Frank Morris. He had spent most of his life in prison. He was abandoned as a child. His early years consisted of multiple turns in and out of foster homes. He was arrested for the first time at age 13. By the time he got to Alcatraz, Morris, despite being highly intelligent, he had an IQ of 133. Uh, He had spent most of his life behind bars for a variety of offenses, grand larceny, car theft, trespassing, armed robbery. Okay. Morris had already successfully broken out of jail or prison 11 times. 
When he tried to break out of a prison in Louisiana in 1959, the feds sent him to Alcatraz. Mm. They were done. They were done with him. That's it. That's how you got, that's how you ended up at Alcatraz. You piss us off, you're going to Alcatraz. So as the metal bar slammed shut behind him, Morris found himself in a five by nine concrete and metal cell with a cot on one wall, a small fold out desk and a seat on the other wall. There was a seatless toilet along the back wall at the foot of the bed. So a hole? No, it was a, it was a toilet. It just didn't have a toilet seat. Okay. Yeah. A standard toilet. Um, Mm. there was a, porcelain sink with only a cold water tap and there was an empty wooden shelf at shoulder level on the back wall. You could stand in the middle of the cell and reach your arms out and touch both sides of the wall. Oh. Five feet wide. That's, that as, is as awful. tall as I am. Yeah. How, 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 how tall? Eight feet we? tall. So, oh. Five by nine by eight. The United States government intended that tiny space to be Frank Morris's home for the next 14 years, but before too long, Morris was spending his many hours of idle time angling for an expedited release, which he eventually accomplished in 29 months. Mm. And speaking of Morris angling to get out of Alcatraz, it's time to meet the Anglin brothers, spelled A-N-G-L-I-N. One of those is the guy with his eyes closed. I know. That's Frank Morris on the left. Yep. John Morris, uh, John Anglin in the middle, and Clarence Anglin the younger of the two Anglin brothers on the right. That, neither one of them photographed very well. Not at all. Uh, and we have to meet the Anglin brothers because they're the guys who snuck out uh, of Alcatraz with Frank Morris 29 months after he arrived in a raft made of raincoats. Okay. We'll get okay. back to the raincoats. All right. But we're not to the shoreline just yet, so hang on to that. John Anglin and his brother Clarence, uh, Clarence was the younger brother, they were born in Georgia, raised in Florida, and they grew up dirt poor. Dad was a seasonal farm worker, so they drove all over the East Coast picking crops for months at a time. Mm-hmm. They did that every year. And the Anglin brothers, uh, it's always mentioned, anytime you read about the Anglin brothers or see them on TV, they were skilled swimmers. They always make sure and mention that when they mention the Anglin brothers. Huh. Just to put a little tidbit of doubt in your mind. Is hey, that from maybe their, they made it. Is that from their Florida? I guess so, right? Yeah, they probably... Uh, Skilled swimmers. Yeah, probably took baths in rivers if they were as dirt poor as I have read that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so store the skilled swimming mm-hmm. in the same place you've stored the raincoats because we're going to get back to that. And the popular mechanics? Next week. Yes, popular mm-hmm. mechanics too. Okay, all right. How do you think they learned how to make a raft out of raincoats? Oh. There's an article in Popular Mechanics. Okay. Yeah. So the Anglin boys, they started robbing convenience stores and gas stations as teenagers, and they ended up at Alcatraz after repeated attempts to escape from the federal prison in Atlanta, where they had been sentenced after robbing a bank in January of 1958 and making off with $19,000. That's 200 grand today. Oh, wow. And here's what you guys have been waiting for, even though you forgot about it. That bank that the Anglin brothers robbed was located in the tiny, tiny town of Columbia, Alabama. How about that? It's probably all the money that bank had. Probably so. Mm -hmm. Population 800 today in Columbia. Uh, That's in Houston County, which is way down in the bottom of the state near Dothan. Uh, It's so far southeast in Alabama that the only thing separating it from Georgia is the Chattahoochee River. It's about 10 miles from the Florida state line. So as far away as you can get on the east side of Alabama from us, just about. Yeah. And still be in the state of Alabama. Straight down 300 miles, you will find Columbia. The Anglins got 25 years apiece for robbing that bank. And after they teamed up to try and escape from Leavenworth in Kansas, they both ended up on the rock by January of 1961. 
His very first morning at breakfast in the mess hall at Alcatraz, John Anglin sat down beside Frank Morris, whom he recognized from a previous stint together in Atlanta. And that's when the thought process about trying to get out of Alcatraz that's began when the in cahoots begin. Yes. So a lot of these prisoners are there because they've tried to escape. Exactly. And this is so the escape-proof seems- place, so that's where we'll send you to stop you from trying that. Okay, yep, seems like a common thread. Yeah. All right, so here we go, guys. It was probably on a Sunday in the prison recreation yard when prisoners, uh, they could mill about and talk to each other in the rec yard. Uh, not so close to scrutiny, the guards kind of left them alone for their hour or two hours in the rec yard on the weekends. Either Saturday or Sunday, they took turns. And here's another stat for you guys. Uh, Speaking of prison guards, most of the time in the federal prison system, the prisoner to guard ratio was 12 to 1. At Alcatraz, it was 3 to 1. Oh. So there were a lot of guards. There were Mm -hmm. over 100 guards at Alcatraz all the time. But it was probably one day in that recreation yard where Frank Morris heard from another inmate that there was a ventilator shaft on top of his cell block that could be accessed, that could be used to access the roof. Mm-hmm. Because this guy knew, he, he'd been there since 57. His name, was, uh, his name was West. He was involved in the escape plan, but he didn't escape with them on that night. And I'll, I'll tell you why next week. But he knew that there was a, a vent shaft up on the top that the fan had been, the fan had broken inside it and they took it out, but they never put a new fan in. So it was a hollow pipe up to the roof. And so that's when the plan began to take shape. Morris and the England brothers and the other inmate I'll tell you a little bit, about, uh, a little bit more about next week. The first thing they did was they began to pilfer pages out of magazines from the library. Any page that had an ad on both sides, they cut that page out or tore it out. Figured that the, the guards wouldn't miss an advertisement page as easily as they would miss a page if, if a story jumped <clears throat> and that page was missing. So they started piling up magazine pages. They needed paint and they needed brushes. I'll tell you why. The plan was to make paper mache dummy heads. And the plan was to make paper mache pieces of the wall where they were going to dig out and escape, but they had to cover up where they were digging. Yeah. They wouldn't get caught. Right. Right. Um, There was a vent. Every cell in B block and C block, which faced each other, had a vent down on the floor beside the toilet under the sink. It was six by nine inches. Not big enough to crawl out of. Mm-hmm. But we'll get, to, we'll get to how they pulled that off. Uh, they also knew that they were going to need some way to get across the base. So basically, <clears throat> as we wrap up today's episode, here's the escape plan. Number one, we know we're going to go to the roof. If I'm Morris and the Anglin brothers, I've, I'm going to get to the roof first. But how? The first I've got to do is get out of my cell. So the best way to get out, and Frank Morris found this out totally by accident one day. He was just chipping on the wall and a chunk of concrete came off. And he thought, wait a minute. If I can get down on the floor late at night after lights out, maybe I can dig around this metal grate, figure out some way to get it off. But if I do that, I've got to cover up the missing yes. hole, the hole where mm-hmm. the grate is missing. So they need paper mache. They need green paint. And one of the guys is a janitor, mm. so he can get his hands on the green paint that's the same paint they use to coat the walls in the prison cells. They need the magazine pages. They need the crumbling concrete. And they're going to mix up this paper mache in the sinks at night. And they're going to make, and you can see in the magazine what the, the fake metal grate 
cover looks like. It's it's a lot bigger than just the grate itself because they they got to take out a piece of the wall too to be able to crawl out, right? Mm-hmm. And guards are not walking by their room at night. Yes, so they have to hide their absence. So they need a fake dummy head to put in their cot and mm-hmm. cover it up with pillows and make and it look that. like there's a body, so that when they get the hole big enough and they can get out and do some exploring that it looks like they're still there. And everybody didn't dig at the same time. They dug in shifts. The Anglin brothers were in adjacent cells and Morris and West were in adjacent cells. So one dug while the other was lookout. Uh, okay. If a so guard's you coming, a you know, a mm-hmm. quick whistle or a tap on the wall and you stop what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I told you guys that, that the, uh, the inmates, if they earned enough money, they could order musical instruments yes. from the music shop on the mainland. So Frank Morris ordered an accordion that came in a case that was big enough to just about hide where he was digging in the wall. But that also means that you have the sound of accordion music wafting through the mm-hmm. cell block his, at night. The, all the people on his cell block hated him. Hated him. Yeah. Couldn't wait for him to get the hell out of there. They were and everybody in the prison knew that this prison break was They were going underway. to help him escape yeah. just to get away just from get those accordions. Just get his ass out of here. So that's how they hid their absence was with the dummy heads. And uh, Clarence Anglin worked in the barber shop, so he was able to get hair clippings mm-hmm. for added realism to the, to the fake dummy heads. And they also have to get to the roof after they get all of this other accomplished. And so they had to make some tools to do that. They still had to, to get a cap off the top of the, uh, of the, of the, of the fan pipe, yeah. mm-hmm. the access tube. So they needed a drill and they needed a screwdriver and they needed something to, they needed a bar spreader. So they had this, all of these tools and they hid them in the utility corridor that they could access when they pulled the grate off the wall. There was this narrow corridor that was filled with pipes that supplied water to all of the cells and they could climb up those pipes and get to the top. And there was room, there was a 10 foot ceiling. So they had to figure out a way to get to the top of the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And that's where they worked on the last portion of the escape plan, which was some way to stay out of the frigid cold waters in San Francisco Bay, about 55 degrees, the water in San Francisco Bay. And the tide is very weird in San Francisco Bay because the Golden Gate is only a mile wide. So when the Pacific Ocean rushes in, it's like a, it's like a, a funnel. So the water is very treacherous yeah. when the tide's coming in and going out in San Francisco It'll Bay. pull you under in a heartbeat. Yeah, and, or pull you out into the ocean. Oh, even worse. Mm -hmm. So that was where the raincoat plan came into place. John Anglin could get access to raincoats. So every day for months, he would wear a raincoat and he would come home that day with two raincoats. He would be wearing another one on top of the one that he had. Okay. So nobody noticed that he was stealing raincoats. (laughs) One time a guard asked him, why do you always wear the raincoat? Why don't you have a a Navy peacoat? Because they could get these nice peacoats from the Navy if they wanted one. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just like my, like my rubber raincoat. I like it. Leave me alone, boss. Mm-hmm. And they did for long enough. We will tell you all of the details about how all of these pieces of this escape came together next week when we do part two of the escape from Alcatraz. We'll tell you about, we'll tell you about some of the famous inmates who stayed at Alcatraz. We'll tell you, uh, we'll kind of take you on a walking tour of the island because I've been there, like Katie said. So I've still got some photos that I will show you guys next week. Uh, We'll do a day in the life of prisoners, what you did all day, every day, the same thing over and over at Alcatraz. Apparently you plan an escape. Yeah. Yeah. And we will tell you how these guys plotted and perpetrated 
the escape from Alcatraz. And that's all I have today. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear about it next Really? Week. Do you mean that? I mean, did I convince you that this was you worth did. even you, doing a podcast no, episode you about? you did. You did. I'm, I'm convinced. She would say that even if it was not true, That's not true. No. No. Yeah, she probably would I would not. All right. I would not. Thank you, Scott. Yay. I'm excited to figure out... We'll do it next week. ...what's going on, and so we'll leave you on a cliffhanger. Yep. I love it when we do that. I know. We know you love cliffhangers. I love the cliffhangers. Is that it? Are we done? We're done. Good night, everybody.